When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Just about all of us human beings, we're going to be quick to blame others for our problems and we're going to be slow to see our flaws. We can avoid creating all sorts of problems by perhaps thinking, well, what might I have done to trigger that person? Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger and I'm here with producer Jason DeFilippo. On this episode, we're talking with Bob Sutton, author of The No Asshole Rule and his new book, The Asshole Survival Guide, How to Deal with People Who Treat You Like Dirt. Jason, this guy was so nice. Obviously, he's taken his own advice. That's all I got to say on that. Yeah, as we say in Silicon Valley, he's eating his own dog food. Do people say that here? Yeah, that's a whole thing. That when, when you're doing your own product, you say you're eating your own dog food because you're using your own product. And Bob is definitely reading his own book and sticking by the principles in the No Asshole Rule and the new book. He has to be super nice. This is a fun show. You know what it was? I didn't notice this before, but when people laugh and are having a blast on the show, it makes it so much more fun for me. I don't know about you. Oh, totally. This is one of the best shows we've done all year, I think. And it was because Bob was such a lighthearted, happy soul. And especially yeah. since he is the the master of the asshole, as it were. Yeah. yeah, you'd think that being around all that asshole or he would be... Uh, painful. He's also a professor of management science and engineering and a professor of organizational behavior at Stanford. So he's not just a nice guy. He's a smart, nice guy. Today, we'll discover why assholes actually do not finish first. We'll explore what to do if you're forced to work with someone who treats you poorly. And we'll uncover how to tell if maybe the a-hole in the office is actually you. There's lots of practical strategies here on dealing with difficult people. And there's even more in the worksheet for this episode, which is in the show notes at theartofcharm.com slash podcast. For now, enjoy this episode with Bob Sutton. Robert, thank you for coming on the show. I know that you deal with a lot of assholes, hence the title of your book, so I appreciate you putting up with two more. <laughs> Jason came across your work because you were, actually, Jason, how did you come across his work? I read the first book a long time ago, and then is you know, I have basically a Google alert for assholes. And it came across that the new book was coming out. So I said, hey, let's get him on the show because I loved the first book. <laughs> if you have a Google alert for the word asshole, you must have really interesting stuff in your inbox every morning. I'm just keeping an eye out for you, man. <laughs> just, I got your back, man. I appreciate it. So, of course, the new book, The Asshole Survival Guide, How to Deal with People Who Treat You Like Dirt, your other book, The No Asshole Rule, took the world by storm. I say that slightly tongue in cheek. Everybody heard about that book probably because of the provocative title, but also the fact that everybody works with an a-hole here or there. And often we have no way 
around it, right? It's common now to say things like, well, you know, if you work with people you don't like, just switch jobs. Not exactly an ideal scenario, because you could be in the C-suite at Apple, you're gonna quit because you don't like your boss's attitude. I mean, I'm sure it happened, but also people were stuck working with Steve Jobs, and there are books written about this, right? So how did you begin to learn to navigate the minefield of working with people who treat you poorly? Well, I actually did not mean to get involved in this at all, since I mostly do stuff on leadership and innovation stuff. But after I wrote the first book, which was also sort of an accident, I thought the first book was about how to build a relatively asshole-free work culture. So I talked about things like how to select employees, how to socialize them, how to give them feedback, who to fire, things like that. But the response to the book was that everywhere I went, both in person and especially over email, people would tell me their stories about the assholes that they dealt with from a CEO of a local tech company here in Silicon Valley writing me and saying, what do I do about board holes or douche boards, nasty members of board of directors, to lawyers, to people who work at Costco, and they all ask the same question, which is, I'm dealing with an asshole or a bunch of them. What do I do? So I did two things. I collected all my emails and responses. And then there's a pretty big peer-reviewed literature on all things asshole. One of the most amazing things is, although I don't specialize in all things assholes, I kind of keep track of it. And there's a good 200,000 peer-reviewed academic articles in the last decade about all aspects of jerks. It's just astounding. There's been an explosion in my behavioral science business. Right. So basically, lots of us are working with jerks and lots of us don't know what to do, given that body of work. It's amazing how little academics study what to do. They mostly study all the ways that if you work with somebody who's rude to you, who bullies you, who yells at you, who treats you like you're invisible, what effect does it have on your physical health, your mental health, your productivity? Then occasionally they'll sort of get into ways to fight back. So I talk about that a little bit or ways to cope with it. But it's really astounding how impractical my people are. We mostly just write about all the ways that being treated like dirt is terrible. The help for what to do is not always theirs. In the book, I combine both practical things that I've learned and seen and also some hints from the academic literature. So it's a combination of the two. So let's define this a little bit. Let me put myself in my dad's shoes here for a minute. Maybe not my dad, but just the dad's shoes. If I said in my 20s or 30s, where I currently am, oh, I work with this person and they're such an a-hole, he'd probably say, well, you know, that's just part of work. Is it bad or is it just something I need to suck it up and deal with it? And there's people like that everywhere. So what? So we had different dads. My dad always told me not to work with assholes, but he worked with plenty of them. So if you look at the range of research on abusive supervision, on abusive customers, on air rage, you sort of go down the list. If you have regular exposure to somebody who leaves you feeling demeaned, disrespected and de-energized, that's how I would kind of define an asshole. You're more prone to anxiety, depression. If you have a boss who treats you like dirt over a long period of time, there's good studies that show you're more likely to have heart disease and a heart attack. There's other studies that show that you have sleep problems. Still other studies that show that your relationships will start degenerating with the people in your family and your close friends. So that's the well-being part. And then we can talk about if assholes finish first, which I think they mostly don't, that when people treat others like dirt, they're less productive, they make more errors, they're less creative, they tend to quit, they're less willing to go the extra mile. So all sorts of evidence that although uh, sometimes it might help the jerk to get ahead, on the whole, they're doing all sorts of damage. And everyone right now is going, oh my gosh, I work with assholes. (laughs) But also it's kind of a case study and oh crap, now I'm gonna die 10 years younger 
uh-huh. because I work with assholes and I haven't done anything about it up till now. <laughs> There's lots of evidence that negative emotions are contagious. So they do these sort of cool studies that show that nastiness spreads like a common cold. So if you're around people who treat you like dirt, you'll probably start treating other people like dirt too. So you will become what is making you sick. So that's the other part that's bad about it. You know, I've noticed this. I noticed just from hanging around with certain people back in college that I was a lot less nice than I was before. A lot of my friends are like, oh, how did that happen? You know, I haven't seen you in a while. Uh, Maybe you're really stressed out. And I thought, I'm not. I've just been hanging out with assholes. So I've been teaching at Stanford for over 30 years now. And the advice that I always give my students and I see them is that when you interview for a job, look at the people at the workplace you're interviewing at. You will become like them. They are not going to become like you. Those forces are very powerful. You're very perceptive because that happens to all of us human beings. Wait a minute. You know, I'm I'm a positive person. I've got a great emotional balance. I'm working with these assholes. How come they're not becoming great, healthy people with great emotional balance? How come I'm going in that direction? How come the river flows towards asshole is, I guess, what I'm asking. The river does not just flow towards the asshole. It flows towards who you're around. So let's just talk about one kind of cool little study. There was a study some Harvard researchers did. They tracked 2,000 people who were in a big company in an open office environment, and they actually rated toxic people and constructive stars. And what they found is if you're within 25 feet of somebody who is a toxic person, on average, classic open office environment, your odds of becoming a toxic person yourself go up and your odds of being fired. That's the bad news. The good news is if you are within 25 feet of a constructive, cooperative superstar, you will become more constructive and more cooperative. Those who you lie or sit with, that's who you're going to become. So there is a good news part about it, but be careful who you hang with. It's going to change you. Wow. But I think a lot of folks think, great, no problem. I can just choose to spend more time with these types of people, or I can choose to elect qualities from these types of people, and I can try to block out these other types of people. And what you're saying is, nope, not really. I don't know whether everything is like completely determined, but at the margin, you can decide who you hang with. You can decide who you work with. I hope we can also talk about if you're around people like this, it's not like you're this helpless person like, oh, I'm just going to get sick or turn into an asshole. There's ways you can defend yourself. But one of the ways to defend yourself is to limit your contact with the worst people in your life. Get the heck out of there. Yeah, because I think a lot of us feel like we can't get away from that. And part of the reason for that is that Maybe this is just an American thing, but I think it's probably a Western culture thing in general. A lot of people believe that assholes finish first. So there are some people who, there's even been a book called um, Assholes Finish First. But if you actually look at the evidence, so there's a bunch of research by a guy named Adam Grant. The evidence is essentially that if you are in a world, there's some organizations that are like this. Microsoft used to be like this. They've actually changed. They've gotten better where it's I win, you lose sort of game. If you're in a situation like that, probably the way you get ahead is by stabbing people in the back and it's a zero-sum game. Most organizations, at least organizations that reward collaboration, that uh, the people who get ahead are the people who help other people succeed. You know, some organizations I know, uh, Pixar, the Cleveland Clinic in healthcare, McKinsey, the consulting firm, Goldman Sachs. I don't have a lot of positive things to say about Goldman Sachs, but they do uh, reward cooperation among their workers, not destructive competition. So a lot of it just depends on the game where you're at. And then to sort of go back, let's go back to the Steve Jobs myth, which you're talking about. So I'm somebody who even in the no asshole world, I talked about Steve Jobs being an asshole and stuff like that. But 
I got to know in the subsequent years, Ed Catmill. Ed Catmill is the president of both Pixar and Disney Animation Studios. He worked with Steve Jobs for 26 years, met with him at least once a week for 26 years. And Ed's argument is one nuance that is missed with Steve Jobs is he wasn't exactly a doormat in the last 15 years of his life. But he was pretty much of a flaming, selfish asshole in the early days at Apple. And then he got kicked out of Apple. He started next and that failed. And he sort of wandered in the wilderness. And he came out a much more cooperative, collaborative, more sensitive and empathetic human being. And that's the Steve Jobs who got famous. He didn't exactly become warm and fuzzy. It was at least the more civilized, less asshole-ish Steve Jobs who people really worship. I'm sitting here in Silicon Valley right now. You look at people like uh, Reed Hastings of Netflix fame, or if you want to pick somebody, Warren Buffett, who many of your listeners will know, there's a lot of people who are perfectly able to be successful and to still finish first. And my motto is that if you're a winner and an asshole, you're still a loser in my book, because what you've done in process of succeeding is you have damaged a whole bunch of people along the way. So why do you have to act like a jerk and damage others when it's still possible to get ahead? And I don't know the degree to which Jobs learned that lesson. Another story about Jobs, this is not third hand, this is first hand, when a good friend of mine, David Kelly, got serious cancer and was in the Stanford Hospital for about two weeks and kept going back for treatment. And this was right during the first iPhone launch. It's not like Steve Jobs had anything to do. Steve Jobs would go to the hospital every day and see David. And him being Steve Jobs, he'd yell at the nurses a little bit on his behalf because he is Steve Jobs, right? But just simply labeling somebody like Steve as this unsympathetic asshole, well, he could be tough, but he was a complex person who did care about the people around him. This work also matters because literally tens of millions of people in the U.S. and elsewhere are reporting things like workplace bullying, navigating nastiness. These things have consequences for your health. You covered that. But what I've also noticed, and I used to call this jokingly back in the day, the cycle of yelling, because I would get yelled at at work and I'd come back and yell at my colleagues and then they would yell at their girlfriends and we'd be like, what are we doing to each other? This is terrible. So we called it the cycle of yelling. The extreme example is guy gets yelled at at work by his boss who got yelled at by his boss. Guy goes home, yells at his wife, who yells at the kid who kicks the dog. Right. Redirected aggression, we call that an intro to psychology. Another thing about people who leave others feeling demeaned, de-energized, and disrespected is that we tend to think of the stereotypical sort of boss with the veins bulging and screaming, but there's at least two other ways that people do dirty work, which are at least and possibly more destructive. The second way is the classic backstabber. But I talked to the CEO who was talking about, so this guy is his subordinate, and he was always kissing up to the boss, just kissing up. Oh, boss, yes, boss, you're so smart. I'm going to do that right away. And then he'd turn around, badmouth the boss, and would either not implement what he said he was going to do or do it badly to try to make the boss look bad. And backstabbers can come in all sorts of guises. And I always say I would much rather deal with somebody who yells and screams at me rather than somebody who smiles, kisses up, and tells me how wonderful I am and then screws me behind my back. It's much more difficult to deal with that kind of person, who, especially if they're socially skilled. And then there's a third kind of way in which people leave others feeling disrespected, which I think is also another problem. And especially powerful people will do this. They'll treat the human beings around them as if they're invisible or they're just objects to satisfy their needs as if they're not human beings. There's different ways to sort of cope with them, but it isn't just the screamers and yellers. There's other things that people do to leave the people around them feeling demeaned and de-energized. 
And my line always is if you're going to cope with a jerk or an asshole, you've got to know your jerk or know your asshole to try to figure out the best way to manage the situation, if you will. And this is one reason that I use this definition of somebody who leaves us feeling demeaned, de-energized, and disrespected, that some of that might be happening as, well, we got thin skin. Maybe we're treating them like dirt and they're throwing it back. So you got to be a little careful about labeling everybody as an asshole because there's a lot of reasons why it may happen. And you've got to sort of look at your motivation of maybe being a little bit too thin-skinned or a little bit touchy about it. And by the way, if somebody is leaving you feeling physically and mentally ill and you're having trouble sleeping and you're having trouble being productive, you've got a problem you've got to deal with even if it's not their fault. I'll tend to call people assholes who don't do it and I want either, but then I have to catch myself. You're listening to The Art of Charm with Jordan Harbinger and today's guest, Bob Sutton. We'll get right back to the show after these messages. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling your own fire merch or promoting your productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And AJ, you don't have to just sell your stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from the brands that you love, giving your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no-excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, 
because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Thank you for listening and supporting The Art of Charm. Now back to Jordan and Bob Sutton. Well, how do we know if we're just thin-skinned or if we're actually dealing with an asshole? Because I think we got to start there because there's a lot of people who go, I work with assholes. And then I know plenty of people who tell me all the time, this person screwed me over in this way, this person screwed me over in that way. And I thought, man, you work at the worst place. And then guess what happened? I got a text from his sister who I was friends with forever. And it was like, actually, you know, now he's mad at you. And I thought, what are you talking about? How am I being an asshole? And then I realized from his perspective, every single person in his life is terrible and he's a victim. I like your story because it's got the two diagnostics to sort of figure out whether it's you or it's whether it's them or both. To me, the first diagnostic is if everywhere you go, everybody is an asshole, this is a sign that you've got a problem. You've got one of two problems. One is that you're too thin-skinned. The other one is when you throw shit, people throw it back at you. So I think you got the diagnostic. The second one is Gosh, researchers have a lot of evidence to support this. It's amazing how bad we human beings are at recognizing our own weaknesses, including being an asshole. So, and you had it in your story too. So having somebody in your life who can tell you the truth and maybe just tell your friends the truth is very important. The ability of people to recognize when they're being jerks is really, really limited. The two ways to tell everybody's an asshole, well, that's a sign that you've got a problem. And the other one is who in your life can tell you the truth that you trust? Well, how do we figure out what to do? Okay, great. I know I work with assholes. Great. Tell me something I don't know. Now what do I friggin' do? The first thing is I wish there was one size fits all strategies. There's a few things that you might want to think about. I'll get to the main strategies in a minute, but there's a few things you might want to think about. One is... What kind of asshole am I dealing with? Am I dealing with what I call a temporary or certified asshole? If you're dealing with somebody who's just having a bad day, well, you just kind of avoid them for a little while. If day in and day out, they're treating you and others like dirt, you got a different sort of problem. The second thing that I always say that is essentially, are you dealing with one person who's a jerk or are you in a Lord of the Flies situation where it's just assholes everywhere? You got a different sort of problem. One of the most important determinants of what you do is how much power you have. So one of the heroes of the book is a guy named Paul Purcell. He's CEO of a company called Baird that has a no asshole rule. Well, he fires assholes. You know, it's good to be king. If you can fire them, that's great. Most of us don't have that option. Well, do you remember Cloudflare who kicked the Nazi assholes off their service? He was the king of the, yeah, I don't like assholes on my service. Get out. So isn't that great? I mean, it's great to be king, right? So if you can do it, go for it. It's both to have both courage and power. So after a while thinking about that stuff, to me, there's kind of four different options we probably should talk about that, that you kind of got to play off. One is, can I get out? The second one is, well, if I can't get out, can I create some distance or just learn to take it? That's kind of two and three. And then the final one is fighting back. 
can I change the situation? So we can start if you want with getting out. My motto is if you've got a coworker, a boss, an organization, a customer who's treating you like dirt, can you just leave the situation? So that is if you've got somebody who is berating you, can you find another job? And I don't believe in the Johnny paycheck, take this job and shove it. I believe in leaving in such a way you can get a good recommendation, perhaps. Perhaps you might sort of lie in wait, but making that decision of can I find another job is really important. With clients and customers, a lot of your listeners will have clients and customers. Sometimes you just got to take it because they're so important to your livelihood. A lot of times you can fire them or pass them on to someone else. There was a wine buyer in Berkeley who I had some uh, conversation with some years ago, and he used to describe how basically in his business, you either could be an asshole or somebody who didn't pay, but if you were both, you were gone. So I kind of like that sort of decision-making. The first set of questions is basically, can I quit and can I leave the scene? And if you can, I recommend that you get out. Right. You're wasting mental faculty and stress having to deal with it. So ideally, you just surgically remove yourself from the situation if possible. But if you can't, then you've got to make some other determinations. And in the Asshole Survival Guide, you've got some different types of assholes. Can we talk about these types? Because I think it's very easy to say, oh, well, my boss was a total asshole last week, so now I have to quit my job? That doesn't seem right. There's different levels here. Right. So let's start out with temporary versus certified. If you've got a boss who is just having a bad day or a coworker or a client and they yell at you, I actually have an example of me sort of like giving one of my friends a bunch of grief because I was having a bad day in the book. Well, that's not just a serious situation, but if you're facing it day in and day out, that's a sign that maybe you should get out or at least you got to take more extreme measures to fight back. That to me is one of the important distinctions that you have to make. This idea of strategic versus clueless assholes is one that's really important. My wife was managing partner of a large law firm, so that means that part of having a lot of lawyers reporting to you or you have to oversee is that do you deal with their asshole problems? And she'd always make the determination, is it somebody who thinks that the reward system that we have here is such that if I treat people like dirt, I'm going to get ahead? Well, that was a much different conversation, usually about money, by the way, than the ones who were unintentionally ignoring people or treating people like dirt. For those folks, sometimes simple self-awareness was enough to get them to change their behavior. You know, to say you realize that you've been interrupting people constantly in meetings, you've been treating people like they've been invisible. People like that would be a much different sort of, if you will, asshole strategy than ones who were strategic. Right. Okay. Because it has to do with ignorance versus people who are trying to proactively figure out how to screw you over. So the psychologists say people have Machiavellian personality are the classic people that when they see you suffer, their brain lights up. And if you're dealing with somebody like that, ooh, you've got to fight back or you got to get the hell out. <laughs> so those are your two main options. Yeah. Let's talk about fighting back because what about the for real certified trying to figure out how to make your life miserable asshole? So from what I can tell, when you're in a situation like that, you've got to decide whether you can do open warfare and win. So that's my big motto is you don't fight unless you have a reasonable chance to win. If you don't have immediate power, you perhaps put together a posse, a bunch of people to fight back, all sorts of evidence that the more people on your side, the better you do. And also documentation is very important. So that's the kind of stuff you need to increase your odds of winning. In terms of the classic person who is trying to 
get ahead by treating you like dirt and thinks it's going to work. There's this thing called porcupine power that some psychologists talk about. The notion that if somebody is pushing you and treating you like dirt, if you sort of return their fire to some degree, they realize you're not a weak person. You're not somebody who is just a doormat. So if you're dealing with that classic sort of person, you should figure out what your options are, but shooting back is a good idea. Of course, if someone is a a higher rank than us or a boss or well-respected, we have to make up for it in numbers. And it sounds like that might be what happened with Harvey Weinstein, right? He just stepped on so many people that eventually the critical mass was impossible to ignore. Yeah, I think that is true with Harvey Weinstein. The bloom is off the rose. He's starting to have some trouble in his company. And a lot of times when you're a powerful asshole, people smile and they make excuses for you and they enable you. But then when you show a little weakness, it's amazing how quick your enemies can come out of the woodwork and shove you down. And to me, it's sort of a cautionary tale that when you're an asshole, especially one who's abusive, your enemies lie in wait and look for weaknesses, and then they all come out at once. And you also saw this with Bill Cosby, by the way, as well. Oh, yikes. How do we fight back? We get a posse. What other things can we do? I mean, what if we can avoid working for an asshole in the first place? Do you have some red flags you might be able to show us? The best thing in life is, as you say, is to avoid them in the first place. So you can do stuff like go on, I don't know, Glassdoor and Google them. But actually, the evidence is that that doesn't work very well. And the reason it doesn't work very well is that the particular organization you're in is not a very good predictor of what your situation is going to be. So the things that I like to say is try to find some socially constructive gossip. This is one of the most useful things. And I say this to my students all the time is see who you can find who works for somebody in that situation. It's amazing the speed at which the well-connected young folks can get to somebody who has the exact same boss they're going to work for. And then the best thing is if you can do a little project, and in this area of sort of the gig economy, a lot of times it's possible. And there's a story that I just love to talk to this co-author and friend, Huggy Rao. This is about seven or eight years ago, and we were going to get involved in a long-term innovation consulting project. And we spent all day in a room with this guy who was just honestly Huggy would call him a hippopotamus. He was the highest paid person in the room and he had little ears and a big mouth. He just talked and talked and interrupted us and talked and talked and talked. So we figured out by the end of the day that what was going to be a one-year gig, we all of a sudden declared we were too busy because we knew if we got entangled with his asshole, our lives were just going to be miserable. So if you do a job interview, you can look and see how your boss treats other people. But my favorite two things is the best information, get the gossip and see if you can put a toe in the water and do a little project with them. Oh, interesting. Hey, uh, I'd like to do something where I prove my worth here. Can I be on trial for 45 days? Oh, that's a great idea. Well, I mean, a day or two is usually enough, by the way. <laughs> that's my perspective. 45 days is a lot of time to spend with the hippopotamus. Yeah, it is a lot of time to spend with the hippopotamus, although it might be necessary in some cases. But that is the advantage of the gig economy. So many people I know get jobs after working temporary. It happens all the time. Nobody named Huggy could ever be an asshole. That's a good cover right there. Huggy, hi, hi, we oh, Huggy is like the most delightful human being I've ever met. He's my co-author. He's a good guy. So, okay, we can avoid them in that way by trying not to work with them at all. You said get the gossip. What ways do you recommend trying to get that type of thing? Do we just ask people at the company, hey, is, is Mike cool to work for? No, he's terrible. This is one of the great things about social media. It's amazing if you use LinkedIn or Facebook. I've even done this with Twitter. The speed at which you can get to people if you're subtle is unbelievable. And what also happens in particular occupations, in academia, it's like this. I know tech firms. I know Hollywood's like this. 
that the world seems really big until you start breaking it down into little occupations. I teach in the Stanford Engineering School and people knew, I'm talking about my female computer science students who I teach, they knew that Travis was not a person, if you were a woman, to get anywhere near for years. I've heard that for three years before all the negative gossip came out and everything. In contrast, give an example of Netflix as a firm where women, although it's a really hard-ass place, it has a good reputation for women to work at. This is just stuff that just comes through gossip networks. Yeah, interesting. So you heard even before, just beware the guy's egomaniac or... It's a bad place for women in general. There's other companies that I'm not going to say that I'm hearing that about right now, but people make decisions on the basis of that as they should. So you're just warming up your article for when each of these companies, yeah, you're just touching it up. Well, it's only a matter of time till this one implodes. Get better. And even in the case of Uber, all the signs that I'm hearing in the new CEO, he sounds like he's doing a pretty good job. So you got to sort of keep your ear to the ground because things do change. Are there ways we can lessen the impact of an asshole on ourselves? So, okay, we already work there. People aren't really going to rally around us because they're also scared or they don't care or this guy's just got it out for us because you tripped him in elementary school and you never forgot about it. Are there ways we can sort of steal ourselves to this assholery? Yeah, producers like me want to know. <laughs> <laughs> so I call these reframing or mind tricks to protect your soul. And essentially, this comes from research on cognitive behavioral therapy. Some of your uh, listeners will have heard of cognitive behavioral therapy. And essentially, there are ways to redefine a situation so it doesn't hurt so much is essentially what it is. So one way to do it is to kind of laugh in the face of your asshole and to just see them as a joke. I've got a friend, her name is Becky Margiatis, total hero. So Becky, later on in life, led something called the 100,000 Homes Campaign, which found homes for 100,000 homeless Americans. She's just an astounding person. And when she was 18, she was a West Point cadet. Somebody kind of gets an inch from your nose and screams at you every day. That's your life, right? So you're just knee-deep in assholes. And Becky said the first couple of weeks, she said, I was kind of getting upset by this. But then I started seeing the upper-class cadets who were screaming at me as the world's greatest comedians. I just see them as just being so funny, and I admire their antics and cleverness so much. And it enabled her to both see it as a joke. And in some ways, she said, it's an emotional distancing strategy where when you do that, you're kind of looking at yourself as a character in a movie, doesn't even feel that personal. So stuff you can do to redefine the situation so it doesn't hurt so much. Some of the other strategies that also actually are pretty evidence-based, in addition to humor, are if you can see yourself as better than the asshole, being above them, a better person. Michelle Obama, when they go low, we go high sort of strategy. So one of the organizations we did interviews for, for the book, is called Phil's Coffee. Phil's Coffee is a sort of local chain. Some of you may have heard of it. About 35 stores they have now. And they really pride themselves, when we talked to Jacob Jabber, the CEO, really pride themselves of, if you will, showing love to customers, serving cups of love. And their motto was, essentially, when a customer treats them like dirt to not to sink to their level and to show that you're better than them and to shower them with love, kill them with kindness. And it really does help the baristas cope with nasty customers because they see themselves as sort of better and really being proud of staying cool in the light of somebody who's throwing dirt at them. I've got a colleague at Stanford. This guy is so funny. I never could understand that when we're in a meeting with one of the biggest jerks you've ever met, he just is calm and cool and just looks sort of studious. And and finally, I said one day, so how do you do it? Like, I study assholes and I'm ready to go crazy and you're so calm. And he said, what I do is I imagine I'm a doctor who specializes in assholeism. And I say to myself, I'm so lucky to have a specimen 
of just like this incredible sort of asshole behavior right in front of me. Sort of like, you know, taking bugs and putting them in the collecting jar. And I really like that, even though I can't do it myself, even though I guess I am somebody who studies assholeism. Anything you can do to create some emotional distance between you and the person who's treating you like dirt can be very helpful. In some ways, they're all sort of similar because what you're doing is you're creating a way to have emotional detachment. Right. Emotional detachment. That definitely makes a lot of sense. And I can understand the baristas needing to do that because people are always in a hurry and you see jerks in line and things like that. Although whenever I walk into Phil's, I feel like they're all stoned. And I think maybe they misunderstood the old when they go low, we go high <laughs> advice. <laughs> That's really fun. Yeah. I don't know whether they're stoned, but you know, since pot's more or less legal in San Francisco, they may well be stoned. We'll be right back with more from Bob Sutton after these brief messages. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to Kajabi dot com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Thanks for listening and supporting The Art of Charm. For a list of all of our amazing sponsors and discounts, visit theartofcharm.com slash advertisers. Let's pucker this episode up. Here's the conclusion of our interview with Bob Sutton. You say it's contagious, but you're one of the nicest guys we've had in a long time. So you must have a lot of emotional detachment in some other way. When people treat me like dirt, I'm capable of being an asshole and I can be one. So I might be a nice guy now, but put me in a hurry, put me under stress, put me around a bunch of assholes, a little sleep deprivation. I'm just a human being. I'll turn into, you know, a flaming asshole myself. Luckily, I'm well rested and talking to nice people today. <laughs> sure. All right. Okay. Fighting back. How do we decide to confront or change the tormentors, right? I know you mentioned a posse. That's not bad, right? That's a good idea. When do we have a gentle private conversation or is that sucker's strategy? Actually, that's really a great point. And this has to be with the difficulty of understanding how we are making other people fear in our life is really difficult. I think the first assumption when somebody is leaving you feeling bad or is doing something that's objectively nasty to make the assumption that they don't understand the damage that they're causing. You assume that they're a clueless, not a strategic asshole, if you will. And 
we teach at Stanford, we teach these executive education classes where we get executives from all over the world. And I was doing this group exercise where uh, one of the things that was going on was that the students were recording interruptions in this group dynamics exercise that I do. And so this woman comes up to me afterwards. She tells me this great story. She says, okay, I'm a senior vice president. I'm on a team with six people and a CEO. Our CEO had some problems with being a clueless sexist pig. He was constantly interrupting us, the two women and not interrupting the four men. And by the way, just for your listeners, the evidence that women get interrupted more than men is unbelievable. A new study shows that female Supreme Court justices in our Supreme Court get interrupted three times more than the male justices. This is a universal problem. So anyway, so what she said was our CEO who really prides himself in being a feminist and everything, we pulled him aside after a particularly nasty meeting and we showed him the numbers. He had interrupted us, the two women, 20 times. He never interrupted one of the guys once. He felt terrible. He apologized and he asked us to keep track of it from then forward. So to me, that's nearly a perfect example of when you've got somebody who is kind of a clueless but well-meaning asshole that having the private conversation can sometimes be constructive. And gee, by the way, sometimes if you have a safe conversation, that person may tell you that uh, they're just throwing it back. So you might learn it's partly your fault too. Oh, interesting. I like that. I think whenever we have longstanding assholery, especially outside the workplace, I find that there's usually two people involved and you've studied this, so I don't know if that's accurate. Absolutely. It's the classic Hatfield and McCoy problem. Sometimes psychologists call this revenge cycle that I throw the mud, you throw the mud, I throw the mud. And to the extent that you can have empathy for the other person and you can have somebody come in who understands both sides and to mediate, it can be very powerful. The other thing is if you can get rid of them, that's the other thing too, to get them the hell out of your life. That's why divorce happens sometimes as well. But yes, when there's ongoing, long-standing conflict, usually uh, both parties are partly to blame. That said, there are flaming assholes who treat everybody like dirt. You mentioned Harvey Weinstein. I, I think that's a guy who might have deserved the certified asshole label. What are some things that we can do practically to deal with this in real time? One of the things that stood out in the book that was a practical was the temporal distancing. And I really like this because it can be done without any fancy techniques and probably not a lot of practice either. So what temporal distancing is, especially comes from a series of studies done at the University of California, Berkeley. And what they showed, Berkeley students who had problems like breaking up in a relationship or doing badly on the exam, the ones who would think about how they were going to feel about it a month or two weeks later, and they literally look back from the future, would have less anxiety and depression than the ones who just focused on how they felt right now. So the basic mind trick is to imagine you're in the future looking back on it, and it doesn't hurt so much. And so I got this great note from this guy who wrote, he said, so when I was a first-year cadet, they'd be just hazing me and screaming at me an inch from my nose. He said, I do two things. The first one's actually kind of funny. He said, I'd look at the guy's eyebrow rather than in the eye so I didn't get his full facial effect. And the other thing I would do is I would imagine it was three years later and I was flying my plane and I was looking back to my first year as a cadet and it was really a small price to pay just for being yelled at kind of once a day by somebody who was sort of young and crazy. And, and I really liked that because he was able to get out of the moment and look back from the future. And, and he said it worked. He said, I got less upset and I got to fly my plane. Wow. It's almost like an out-of-body experience. Yeah. Right? Imaginary <laughs> time travel. It. Yeah. It seems sad that we have to do this. 
if it works and it maybe it's only a little bit at a time because you don't want to quit your job if your boss's boss's boss that you see three, four times a year is an asshole. And there are just some things in life. Honestly, we just have to get through. Some of our students will have bad internships. Recently, I flew from Chicago to San Francisco and I got the middle seat in the very back row. And I sat between two guys who were even bigger than I am. So, you know, what do you do? You shut your eyes and imagine you're already there and wait for it to be over. You sometimes just got to get through it. One of the practicals that I really loved was figuring out what triggers our own assholery. I think this is important, and I find myself doing this with my wife, noticing, oh, I'm tired. Oh, this is what triggers me here. This is what triggers her there, and paying attention. And that's actually helped me avoid triggering certain crappy moods that would turn me into an asshole or helping me help others, for example, my wife, avoid situations that would trigger her because I can handle it more easily, for example. I like the direction we're going here because to me to sort of figure out, if you will, diagnosing when you're going to be an asshole, I, I guess sort of three things. One, you need that person in your life. I like you're talking about your wife because spouses are really good at telling you the truth. Second to teenage children. So you got to have somebody in your life to tell you the truth. The second thing is just generally knowing what triggers nasty behavior in people and then knowing your quirks. So in terms of what triggers nasty behavior in people, it's actually pretty clear evidence. And you've sort of laid it out. Being tired, sleep deprived, it's a great way to make people grumpy. Putting people in a hurry, there's all sorts of evidence. You start rushing, people get nastier and less polite. The other one is power. If you have power over people, be very careful about how you behave or maybe you don't care. And then finally, being around other assholes, as we've discussed in other ways, one of the most reliable way to turn into an asshole. If you've been around a bunch of grumpy people, beware. And then finally, there's this things that set you off because I think that all of us who know each other well, you know, got my own little peeves of things that drive me crazy. So a long, boring meeting, the best way to turn me into an asshole is uh, try to talk to me minute 75 into a really bad, boring meeting. That's when I'm most dangerous. (laughs) Yeah, Jason gets grumpy. I've got a podcast (laughs) called Grumpy Old Geek. So I think, you know, it's in the title. It's as they say in Britain, it's written on the tin. So you get what (laughs) that's how it works. You have this mantra Be slow to label others as assholes and be quick to label yourself as one. What do we mean by that? So if listeners come away with one thing, this is it. The research we have on self-awareness indicates that just about all of us human beings, we're going to be quick to blame others for our problems and we're going to be slow to see our flaws. We can avoid creating all sorts of problems by, well, when somebody's being nasty, giving them the benefit of the doubt, not blaming them, and uh, perhaps thinking, well, what might I have done to trigger that person? And that offsets a whole bunch of cognitive biases because if you look at research, for example, on the percentage of Americans who say that they've engaged in during bullying in the workplace, it's one out of 200. And if you ask the National Survey of Americans, have you been the direct victim or observed firsthand workplace bullying, ongoing bullying, it's 50%. It's one out of two. So something's wrong with those numbers. And so just as a little bit of an offset, if you can be, if you will, slow to label other people and to be quick to label yourself because you might be part of the problem, I think it's one of the most important things. 
And God, I wish our politicians would do it, but I don't see much of that going on right now. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> yes. Those guys, we need to mail a whole crate of your book over there to uh, Washington. <laughs> to both sides of the aisle, by the way. I'm, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm not I'm not even bipartisan in this case. <laughs> absolutely. Bipartisan effort to get this stuff handled. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want to make sure you deliver? If we're going to, we as a society, us and our organization, us and our relationships are going to do something about this problem, it isn't just a matter of us surviving the assholes in our midst and not being jerks ourselves. There's a third category, what I call toxic enablers. So these are people, and there's lots of people who do this in life who aren't assholes themselves, but they sort of clear the way for assholes to be effective. If you want to be a successful asshole, get somebody to clean up your mess. And if you're somebody who does this, who after your boss has a temper tantrum, you go from office to office and you say, really, he or she wasn't that bad. It's not as bad as you think. And then you go into your boss's office and uh, perhaps you say to her when she says, was I nasty? You say, no, no, you weren't really that bad. There's a lot of people in the world who actually get rewarded for that sort of stuff. There's at least two or three famous Silicon Valley CEO assholes that I know in history who have gotten ahead by having these toxic enabler folks, but they're actually doing a lot of damage when they clean up after people and make excuses for them. You know, you were talking about the Harvey Weinstein case. It's the enablers and bystanders that are more interesting than what he happened to do because a lot of people let him run nasty for a long time. Somebody had done more of an intervention with him and called him out earlier if it wouldn't have gone on for so long. I love the idea of the toxic enabler. They sort of are not assholes directly. The toxic enabler could be us as well, right? We're the person who doesn't report the sexual harassment for the 87th time because that's Harvey or... Yeah, I know that this boss is a total jerk and I'm his secretary, but I don't want to say anything because even though he might listen to me, he might also just get mad at me instead. That kind of thing. In addition to that, there's people who get paid for this. There's lawyers who get paid for this. As I say, two or three COOs who have turned into multimillionaires by just sort of covering up. It's like the parade comes through and the cleanup crew cleans up the poop. It's sort of like a job for some people, but it sure does a lot of damage because it makes it possible for them to both sort of like cool out the victims and at the same time to sort of kiss up to the boss or other nasty person to keep doing the dirty work. Also, Lance Armstrong, you look at like the people around Lance Armstrong who actually, many of whom now feel terrible for the toxic enabling that they did either wittingly or unwittingly. It's another example. A lot of people have what you would call actually asshole blindness, which is that they feel they can't leave. They feel trapped where they are. There's a habituation that takes place being around it where you think, well, this is just what it's like working at a company or this company or even in this department, this is just what I have to deal with. And this takes such an emotional toll that we now know takes a physical toll on our health. And additionally, there's one other thing, which is staying in a job where you're dealing with assholes longer than you need to actually will often limit options you had earlier. I think people don't really understand that. They don't realize, you know, I have to stay here even though I don't want to. No, you can get good references from earlier jobs, but if you're there for three and a half years, you're gonna have to explain this gap on your resume. And we've all heard, oh, well, my old boss was an asshole, and we just go, uh-huh, sure he was. This guy wrote me, he worked for a horrible boss for eight years. Eight years. Finally, he got out. He said he could have gotten good references the first three or four years. By year six or seven, he was sort of in a trap situation. And it's the classic, some of the rationalizations that we use. It's going to get better. 
I'll do something about it next week. And all of a sudden you've been in the job in this guy's case for eight years. So yeah, so that's why I say if you possibly can get out earlier rather than later, because things are not likely to get better, they might get better and you should do your homework. Sometimes the grass is browner, but I mean, just over the years, and this is one of the great things about the emails that people send me, they'll send me a note and they'll say, you know, I actually moved to another place and now I'm in a place where People treat me with respect and they're civilized and my relationship with my spouse is much better because I finally have gotten out. So sometimes it does get better, especially if you're in a bad context. Well, Bob, thank you so much. Great show. Really fun. Funny. You clearly you're taking your own advice here. So. <laughs> well, you guys are really fun to talk to. It's been a pleasure. This is such a fun show, Jason. I again, I love this guy. The book was really interesting. Uh, there was one thing. There's one thing, Bob, if you're listening. <laughs> Why do you say especially instead of especially? It's driving me crazy. And why do you have to escape? <laughs> it's escape. Oh, it's driving. You know, it's funny. He's a great guy, super smart, best-selling author, and I just can't let go of him mispronouncing two words. I what know. What is my problem? I know. Trust me. I, I. It's hard for me, too. I love the guy. He is such a great soul, but I do. I especially hate the fact that he oh. cannot say especially. It burns. It, it burns. burns. And if you buy the book now on audio, you can't unhear it. We have officially kind of ruined part of it. It's still <laughs> worth getting, but you won't be able to not hear him say especially because he loves to use that word too. And now are we the assholes because we had to point out the fact that he can't say especially, oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> I. But that was never up for debate. It wasn't like it wasn't like our Jordan and, and Jason a-holes secretly. No, it's not. No, we're There's pretty no popular. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Smart guy. Great info. Great big thank you to Bob Sutton. The book title is The Asshole Survival Guide, How to Deal with People Who Treat You Like Dirt. Of course, that'll be linked up in the show notes for this episode. If you enjoyed this one, don't forget to thank Bob on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes as well. Tweet at me your number one takeaway from Bob Sutton. I'm at The Art of Charm on Twitter. I'm also on Instagram at Jordan Harbinger. Don't forget, we have a worksheet for today's episode. We're going to be doing that for episodes moving forward here. It's a great way to solidify your understanding of the practicals and the key takeaways from Bob Sutton. The link to the worksheet is at theartofcharm.com slash podcast. And if you like the practicals and you like applying things, check out the AOC challenge. That's at theartofcharm.com slash challenge. Or you can text AOC to the number 38470. Because the challenge, the challenge, man, is really solid. It's about improving your networking and connection skills, inspiring those around you to develop a personal and professional relationship with you. It's free. It's a unisex. It's designed to get the ball rolling, get you some forward momentum, and help you apply the things that you are learning on the show here to your life every day. We'll also send you our fundamentals toolbox that I mentioned earlier on the show, all that practical stuff ready to apply right out of the box on body language, nonverbal communication, attraction, negotiation techniques, dating stuff, networking and influence strategies, persuasion tactics, and everything else that we teach here on the show and at our live programs at The Art of Charm. It will make you a better connector, it'll make you a better networker, and it'll make you a better thinker. That's all at theartofcharm.com slash challenge or text AOC to the number 38470. And don't forget, you can listen to the show on the newly designed Podcast One app at podcastone.com slash apps. This episode of The Art of Charm was produced by Jason DeFilippo. Jason Sanderson is our audio engineer and editor. Show notes on the website are by Robert Fogarty. Theme music by Little People. Transcriptions by transcriptionoutsourcing.net. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. 
Do you know any assholes who might benefit from the episode you just heard? Well, you would benefit, technically. (laughs) Please pay AOC and myself the highest compliment and pay it forward by sharing this episode with that person. It only takes a moment and great ideas are meant to be shared. So share the show with friends and assholes. Stay charming and leave everything and everyone better than you found them.